him in. Y'all can have a seat. There's something beautiful about singing the belief we have in God, right? There's something beautiful about that and then getting to hear that as we pray through it, as we read through it. There's just something that God does in these moments we set aside time on Sundays for. This morning, we're continuing in a series that we've been doing called Made for More, and I'm going to give you a heads up right off the top. We are going in today. We are diving in. We're going to do some in-depth teaching. We're going to unpack some words. We're going to define some things. We are going to really explore a particular shift for us as a church that God has for us. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about different shifts, whether it's from more effort to more Jesus, more volunteers to more masterpieces, or even from a more guilt-driven view of God to a more love-driven view. But the shift we have today, one that we are hoping defines overflow for years to come. Like this one not only talks about the things we believe, but how we actually live in those beliefs. This big shift is this, going from a more hierarchy-driven church, from more hierarchy to more missionaries. Going from relying on the professionals, the paid people, uh, the quote-unquote smart people over off yonder to go figure it out, going from reliance on that to Everybody, always, if you're a part of the church, you're on mission. Everybody, all the time, diving in. That's the shift. Let's get it done. So, this all brings together a rather interesting question, right? Because if we're talking about all of us always being on mission, which is uh, different than just relying on, like, the paid staff to do something— Uh, We also should define what those roles and relationships are, right? If we're going to redefine and reorient ourselves around something new, we should define some terms, Uh, which brings together an interesting question. Uh, What is the role of a pastor, right? Is the pastor's job to do ministry? Maybe. Is it the pastor's job to make everybody feel amazing about themselves and their life choices and everyone walks away from church feeling like they are a million bucks and like they just got a million dollars in a pony, like everything's great? <laughs> is it the pastor's job to be like the love expert? Like, yes, that is the person you should be dating. That's the person in the blueprint God has for your life. We're the love doctor. We're like, well, we'll check the relationships for you. Is that the pastor's job? Now, there's some aggressive head shakes to that one. I'm sorry if someone hurt y'all in the past. Um, But also, like, sometimes we do actually treat the pastoral role as like Dr. Phil almost. Like, okay, we go to church, we explain to the pastor what all of our random issues are, and so hopefully by the time we're done with the conversation, they will have solved it and we're good to go. Maybe. Is the pastor's job to, like, do this for like an hour a week, but then go get a real job later? You laugh. I get that a lot. Um, But what actually is the pastor's job? Thankfully, in the passage we read, we've got that outlined for us. And so we're just going to tackle it head on. Uh, But there's also this unique list of, like, roles that's right at the top there in verse 11, where we started, that we read, that we're going to have to define some terms. uh, Because sometimes we run into a situation where I don't think that word means what we think it means. And misdefining words can be kind of funny. So I remember when 
I uh, first started playing basketball. Uh, see, I grew up in Zealand, uh, which if you don't know what Zealand is, it's where they spawn Dutch people. Uh, it's tall, skinny, blonde hair, blue eye, all look like this. Uh, and I'm average height in Zealand. I'm 6'3", I'm short. It's unbelievable. But basically, that is the only kind of person I'd interacted with for a lot of my life until I started playing basketball around high school age. And so it's like, oh, okay. And different people, different cultures, we use words differently. Uh, and so it was a very good learning process for me. Uh, for example, like, I remember we were playing a pickup game. And so like, I finally got the ball and I was like, yay, I'm going in for a layup. And I just got like crushed into a wall. And so I'm like, I don't even know if it went in. I hope it did. I have no idea. But it was right at that moment I got crushed in the wall. I'm laying on the ground. And one of my uh, new friends that I had made, a rather large African-American fellow, he like ran up, he's like, dude, you straight? And I remember thinking to myself, I like girls. <laughs> and then I said that out loud. <laughs> and he was so confused. Because as it turns out, the word straight can mean multiple things. To me, I had only heard that word used in terms of sexual orientation. He was just asking if I was okay. But when we don't have the same definitions for words, it can create some rather interesting hilarity and things that we don't intend to happen start to happen. That is the case with this list of five like titles that gets given here in Ephesians 4, uh, this apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, or pastor, teacher, as is listed there. Uh, because... I was actually debating straight up skipping this section because it's not actually like the point of this like passage. And it's not the point of where we're trying to shift as a church, but it is this passage that gives us that. Um, but I decided I had to for two reasons. Reason number one, through one set of understandings of these roles, like some people have been set free to do ministry the way God intended them to do it. Like they found an identity in that and it's actually good and it's helpful. And they're bringing people to Jesus and bringing people along with them and they're growing. Like it's been a very freeing thing for some people. That's a good reason to visit something. Also on the other hand of that, it's also been really damaging for some people. Especially conversations that have started in the past with, I'm an apostle, things that have followed that phrase sometimes don't turn out very well. So, we need to supply some definitions for things that are going on in this passage. I will tell you up front, we're going to like separate this out a little bit into like role and function, as in like the title of something and what that thing does. Right, like we know how this works. Okay, like factory worker, you probably pack boxes or you make parts or something. Like title, worker, thing that you do, pack boxes, right? Are you with me on this separation of like a title of something and what it does? Okay, you're with me, awesome. So we're gonna do that for each one of these five. So verse 11 goes like this. So Christ himself, by the way, given by Jesus. The actual like point of all of Ephesians 4 is how Christ set up the church. Like that's the point of Ephesians 4. But we're narrowing our focus a little bit here. Uh, so Christ himself gave the apostles. Now, the New Testament definition of an apostle. Are you ready for this? They saw the resurrected Jesus and then carried that message to other people. That's it. That's the definition of an apostle according to the New Testament. 
As in, like that 40-day period after he resurrected, but before he went into heaven, that Jesus started like saying hi to people and having fish sandwiches with his friends. Right, you with me? Um, Those people are apostles. Uh, Paul himself, the guy that wrote this, considers himself the last and the least of the apostles. Because he has to argue with the churches that he leads that, hey, I'm actually one of them, right? And they're like, you weren't around for that. But he's like, yes, but like he appeared to me on the Damascus Road and he like blinded me. And some dude that I don't know, like touched my eyeballs. It counts, right? He has the argument with a bunch of churches because they're not sure if he's actually one of the apostles. But we're pretty sure he is. He's pretty sure he is. Apparently Jesus saw fit to make sure that we knew he was. So the apostle Paul calls himself the last and the least of the apostles, as in, If anybody today walks up to you and says the phrase, I'm an apostle, maybe be a little cautious with whatever comes next in that conversation. Now, what we use today is sometimes we call things apostolic, as in, okay, there's a title of apostle, there was a few of those guys in the New Testament, and gals. It's actually true. I heard you chuckle. That's the reason my daughter's name is what it is, by the way. Like, Junia. Romans 16 is called, Junia is well known among the apostles. Even Jesus made sure there were both men and women in that group. Both were in charge. Anyway, tangent aside, apostolic, we typically call like church planting, high ingenuity, high innovation things. Like when we start new things, when we like launch new things, people that like somehow know a rhythm of things where it's like, well, that was a new way to do that, right? Because it's a call out to what the apostles originally did with the church. The shift. But apostles, there were a few of those, they're gone. Apostolic, that's still a function that can happen. Make sense? Awesome. That's the most complicated of all of these, by the way. Okay? It only gets easier from here. It's all downhill from here. So, next one is prophet. Uh, These actually follow the arc of the book of Acts, by the way. Uh, So, like, the apostles are first. Yeah, because they're the first ones that ran into Jesus. And then, like, after that, like, prophets. So, prophet is a title that's just kind of given to certain people. Noteworthily, they usually don't give it to themselves. Just a heads up about that one. Uh, but it's given to certain people, and they deliver, like, inspired encouragement or, like, an inspired message, like, somehow in this, like, mysterious connection. Like, how can a human being be connected to God? Prayer. Like, through that connection, God gives them something that they have to say to somebody or a group. Interestingly enough, they're usually quoting scripture, and that's a pretty good validity test. Uh, So like Peter, right, in this Acts 2 moment when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, right, so they're all praying, things are chill, out of nowhere there's like a sound of like thunder, rushing wind, like, and like tongues of fire start coming out, and they start speaking languages that they definitely don't know, and people are hearing the gospel in their own language, right, and then Peter stands up and preaches something prophetic. That whole sermon is Peter says, Did you read Joel 2? It's Joel chapter 2. Here's what that said. Here's what's happening right now. Here's how we apply it. That's the whole sermon. Very typical of prophetic words. Now, again, prophet, one thing, prophetic, like that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, But just in case you get a little nervous around people that like bring you what seems to be like, maybe God said that through them. Do you know what the biblical test for a prophet is? If it actually happens. That's even way back in Deuteronomy. Like, you will know a prophet's word is real if uh, what he says comes to pass. Which means you probably don't need to immediately believe anybody. You can actually take that one in prayer to the Lord. Just give yourself some space. You'll be okay. 
There is no reason anybody should say, my title is prophet, you have to obey me. That's inappropriate. Brought on a chuckle, again, from the Church Hurt crew. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, actually, I don't know your story, my bad. <laughs> uh, coffee's on me this week, you want to hang out. Um, evangelist, that's the next one. Okay, so it goes, it says, and Christ himself gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, pastor, teacher. So evangelist, this is actually, of these five, the least used word in the New Testament. It's only used three times, including Ephesians 4 right here. It actually des describes people, uh, and one of them is Timothy. So Paul had a little buddy that he left in charge of some churches. He gets labeled an evangelist. And as best as we can tell, according to the New Testament, here's what an evangelist is. Talk about the apostles, but they didn't actually see resurrected Jesus. Bring the same message, lead churches, do their thing, but they just didn't see resurrected Jesus. Timothy didn't, but he gets labeled an evangelist. Okay. Cool, that's the title. Now the function. Anybody remember last week how we defined evangelism? Please? <laughs> yeah, you just talk about what you care about. Right? That's what evangelism is. When you care about Encanto, you say things like, we don't talk about Bruno. Like, you say that. When you care about Jesus, you repeat things he said to other people. When God's working on something with you and you're like, man... This morning in Devo is like, God, like something's sitting right there. You mention that to another living, breathing human being. That's all evangelism is. People generally get called like evangelists uh, just when they're really good at that. And people just somehow like tend to follow them. And you're like, oh, they're real natural. It's smooth. It's not weird. It's not awkward. But like, I'd follow that guy. You know, when she talks about a relationship with God, some people make it weird, but she seems to not. And, like, I'm just inspired by that. Like, we typically call those people evangelists. People just somehow start following them. We've covered apostle, prophet, evangelist, and right here, uh, Ephesians gave up. Uh, but, like, the grammar changes, okay? It's so, like, when you read your Bibles, just pay attention. Like, read slower if you need to. But you notice it's like, and Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. And, like, he just combines them right at the end. He's like, eh, it's probably good for the list. Just combines them, right? Some of your translations say shepherds. Some say pastors and teachers. It's referring to the same thing. Uh, pastors lead groups of Christians, that's who they are. Uh, it's actually kind of funny because shepherding is one of those like really common metaphors for what pastoring is. Uh, and we usually associate that with something weird because we're usually like, mm, he's, they're such a good shepherd. They're so gentle. They're so merciful. They're so patient and they're tender. And things are just so nice when they're around. Y'all seen a shepherd? <laughs> Do y'all know why there's a crook in that shepherd's staff? It's to drag disobedient sheep back by the neck. So let's apply that to pastoring. <laughs> they also, shepherds carry with them like sticks with barbs and spikes in it in case any predator comes in that doesn't belong in the pack, they beat it to death. Let's apply that to some pastoring. Some that comes in that doesn't belong here gets out. Like, like, across the board, like, shepherding is not a gentle lifestyle, right? It is rugged. You end up on hills. Things are smelly. Things are dirty. Like, things happen. Like, life goes crazy, and you're exposed to, like, protect your flock. That's, like, shepherding. Pastors lead groups of Christians and look out for them. 
final role, which actually got combined with pastors, is pastors and teachers, uh, because a lot of these are these are actually interchangeable roles. A lot. Uh, fun fact: most of the like the Apostle Paul and a lot of these characters in the New Testament float between a lot of these roles a lot. These aren't like discrete. Like you can only be one thing ever at all, right? Paul pastored some churches. He taught sometimes. He was an apostle. Like occasionally he'll deliver like a prophetic message. Like there's kind of floating between these things. But teachers, easiest definition, and it's my personal favorite: teachers are nerds. They're just really smart. They're good at teaching the Bible. They're good at communicating biblical truth to Christians. It's what they do. Now that we've established our terms, now that we've brought this all together, let's revisit our question that we started with. Uh, what is actually the role of a pastor? Again, if it kind of can flow between those things, uh, or like, especially now, because we're concerned with like how we're supposed to apply our lives. When we read the Bible, we're transformed, but we also need to allow that to affect our behavior. Like, what does that actually mean? Conveniently, this passage continued after verse 11. So, pastors have two roles. The first one we'll look at is in verse 14. And it says this, Then, when all these things are in place, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there, by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Job number one of pastors, don't let Christians get fooled. Especially if you've got a good teacher around, get that nerd into a study with some old dusty books. Like, make sure they go, like, learn the biblical languages so that, and, like, sort everything out. Read the commentaries, read the articles, like, get all through that so that anytime someone decides to, like, teach a new thing, they know whether it's valid or not. Like, pastor's job, part of it is to legitimately go study so that when someone brings in a teaching, we know if it's true or not. A while ago, we talked about, like, there's this difference between, like, some of us are more spontaneously oriented, some of us are more, like, planning-oriented, right? And that comes into our spiritual lives where it's, like, more like, ooh, let's just see in the moment how we're doing. And there's other people that are, like, super preppers, not, like, youper preppers, like, UP preppers, but, like, actually, like, spiritual preppers kind of a deal. Both need to be done by pastors, as in, long before there is any issue— be invested in prayer. Be like really learning the Bible. Be really learning all the additional resources. Learn everything you possibly can in all the power that you have. Uh, there's a good pastoral saying, uh, act like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God. There's also the spontaneous side of it, which is like, Lord, give me that spiritual discernment so I know if this is legit or not because I can't remember what I read. And sometimes, honestly, you don't need a pastor to discern something. Some of them are just super easy. For example, like I'll prove this to you because some of you look like you doubt me. Um, is murder a good idea? Good job. We have discernment. Excellent. Like, is it a good idea that we actually care for our community? There we go, right? There's, like, those are foundational things. Treat other people like they're actually worth the air that they're breathing, because they are, because God decided they are. Also care about the people around you. Like, those are foundational Christian things. But sometimes there's other more complicated questions that require some nuance, like, do you have to be baptized in order to get into heaven? Right? The amount of hesitation was like, all right, cool. Uh, the answer to that would be no. It's generally like, if we have the time and space, yes, do that. But baptism is that rite of passage. It's not actually salvation, right? 
It's like Christian rite of passage that we take on. We identify with Christ in his death. Like the old me, dead. I drowned it. New me, whoosh, up with Christ. But also, even Jesus, in his reaching out to others, thief on the cross, right? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. They didn't have time to climb off a cross and baptize somebody, right? But... As pastors, our job, one of them, is to sort out what is true from what is not so that no one in this room gets fooled. The other job, and I would argue the much bigger job, is what came actually in verse 12, right after this apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher thing. So all this has been established. Verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. Oh, whose job is ministry? Everybody's. It is not just the paid professionals that, you know, they went to school for it. We, we chose to follow them. We, you know, pay them so that they are just focused on that. Yes, we should do ministry. But our job is to actually equip all of you to make sure you have all the tools you need, which means we're going to go find resources for you. If that's, and that ministry side, I mean, there's two functions of it, right? There's that spiritual formation where we all get to grow in our knowledge and love for Christ, right, internally. And so, like, do you need to, like, be able to pray better? We'll help with that. Do you need to, like, be able to work with the Bible better? We'll help with that. Do you need to, like, know, like, okay, like, if tongues breaks out in the middle of the service, how do we deal with that? We'll help with that. Like, we'll help with those things. Also, like, okay, individually, in my own context, how do I reach out to my neighbors? Or, like, I know that they need something. Like, we'll, figure that, we'll help you figure that out. Like, that spiritual formation side of it. But then also there is the others-centric side, as in how do we actually impact the block we live on? How do we actually impact the city that our church is in? How do we actually reach out to other people that may not look like us, and so we understand that when they ask us if we're straight, they're not talking about our sexuality, right? How do we, like, interact with people? Those are all things that it is our role to equip you with. So if you're missing something, you let us know, and it's our job to make sure that we get you the resources you need. It is legitimately our job to make sure you have whatever you need in order to follow Jesus the best you can. That is the really complicated job of pastoring. <laughs> it would be complicated if it were just one person. But, you know, God, for whatever reason, decided to trust Overflow Church with a bunch of us. So then we figure out how does it actually work for our group of Christians to impact the area around us and the people that is within that and the people without that. Make sense? Great. I am glad that we are working together. This, this all reminds me of an interesting conversation I had with a mentor, a pastor of mine. He's been at it way longer than me, and every time, like, he says two sentences, and I'm like, I need you to, like, write four books on that so I can slow down. Like, that kind of relationship, because, like, I don't know everything. I'm a work in progress. And so I'm trying to, like, learn better. And so I remember asking him, I was like, hey, man, uh, what, like, what's this next, right, like, thing for me to be focusing on? Uh, or, like, how do I actually, like, do ministry stuff better? And he's like, well, that's interesting you say that. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did I say something? See, Chad, go back and read your Bible. But when we chose to become pastors we gave up the opportunity to do a lot of ministry. Say more. <laughs> well, I know you're passionate about it. And yes, continue like that default easy mode of like, yeah, you're just naturally like, reaching out to people and like helping people, helping people grow. But also, your primary job is to help however many people go to your church grow. Your primary role 
is to actually help your church take the next right step with Jesus, whatever that is. And then we reread Ephesians 4, and sure enough, it's right there. But this is the actual fundamental shift that we have to make. This big shift from more hierarchy to more missionaries is this shift. Less reliance on, okay, what is the staff going to come up with this week? Or what are they going to come up with this month? More reliance on, I trust each and every person that calls Overflow Home to know what they're doing. Each and every person that calls Overflow Home is in their workplace for a reason, is in their friend group for a reason, is good at whatever they're good at for a reason. God already gave each and every one of you a context. Just be Jesus within that. Because, see, here, there's an interesting that hap- thing that happens a lot in church, in an American church specifically. We're very tempted to do this thing uh, where uh, it eventually became where it's just like, hey, man, someone, someone in my world is struggling with something. Uh, maybe the pastor will talk about this Sunday. We'll invite them to church. Always just invite people to church. This is a community worth being in, by the way, right? If people didn't want to be a part of our community, they shouldn't really join our faith because we're supposed to be a representative of that, right? But inviting a church, always a good thing. But we get to this point where it's like, well, maybe the pastor will talk about their issue this week. And so maybe, maybe they'll come to the sermon, it'll be okay. Or, ooh, this person really needs Jesus. Mm, they need to be introduced to like the gospel. They need to know about the hope they have in Christ. Let's see if the pastor will talk about it this week. Uh, hey, you want to come on down to this place? Like, maybe Sunday, 9 or 11. Uh, you can watch online if you want, but like, like 9 or 11, like, come on into the place. Or like, ooh, man, I'm waiting on like whatever, like, ah, there's someone kind of need in our community. Maybe the pastors will think of it this week. Or maybe it'll get talked about from stage this week. Here's the problem, though. The Great Commission was not come and see. It was go and tell. As in, wherever you are at, if someone in your world does not know Jesus, the person most responsible for introducing them to Jesus is you. If one of your neighbors needs eggs, go to a mire, buy them eggs. If somebody in your small group is like, I just need prayer for something, pray for them. People don't need a stranger with a degree. They need their friend. Again, the strangers with degrees are cool, and we're helpful, and we're trying. But also, if we leave it at just the pastoral staff's got to like, think of something to do with the situation, we have gone from 300 to 6. That's not good. Just on, on its own, the math of that doesn't really compute very well. If we're trying to impact like two or three towns worth of people, or even a county worth of people, we're going to need more than 6. Jesus changed the world with 12, 11. One kind of quit out a little early. Jesus changed the world with 11 guys. What do you think he can do with like 250 overflow people? But that shift requires all of us, not just some of us. See, there's... We've been having lots of meetings over the last couple of, couple of months with different like volunteer leaders, different small group leaders, things like that. And something that I've been encouraging people regularly as we're trying to make this shift, uh, first under the surface and then now as a group, something I've been encouraging people regularly is this. If I have to program it, we're already behind. 
It is very, very clear, biblically and through prayer, like, how, like even if you barely know anything about Jesus, love God, love neighbor is enough. Like, it is very, very clear that we are all as Christians required to be on this journey and work in this system together. Like, the target is obvious. The only time that we have to program stuff is when we are not at the target and we have to figure out a system to get all of us there. Like, a couple of years ago, uh, there was particularly, like, people on Overflow were like, man, we just don't know our Bibles real well, so we ran a Bible in a year program. We saw where the target was. We, could, we weren't quite there, and so we ran a program to bridge the gap. When we're talking about, man, I wish we could, like, influence our community more, or we're like, man, we, we should care about the schools more. Okay, so it, over, as an entity, we either put, like, air conditioners in Fair Plain East, or, like, we actually sent people over to, like, the middle school, but, like, okay, what kind of program do we need to bridge this gap? When Christians take it upon themselves to see a need, fill a need, you don't need programs, you just need more Christians around. But if I have to program it, if we as a staff have to program it, it's an admission that we're behind the target a little bit. Now, let me let you all off the hook. Anytime that we're talking about shifting organizationally, we're always going to see a target that's in the distance. Right? If we're talking about shifting from more hierarchy to more missionaries, that means that we're going to be like the target's over there and we've got to get there. This is no immediate flaw in any of us, okay? I need you to understand that I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Are you with me? Great. So, there are two ways in which we're going to make this shift together. Two programs, if you will. Number one, everything is groups. That's the little slogan we're using for it, but everything is groups. If it's a serving team, it's a group. If it's a small group, it's a group. If it's an interest-based, like, everyone go running yesterday in the cold, uh, like, it's a group. Go. I was picking ice chunks out of my beard by mile two. It was, ugh, it was terrible. But like, are you interested in gaming? Like, there's a group for that. There's over 15 groups here at Overflow, by the way. Right? There's ladies groups that meet on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, on some Saturdays. There's, they're on events every third Saturday of the month. You should hang out with them. They're also going to start a study in like May. It's worth it. But that's a little teaser. Um, there's like a men's group that meets on Thursdays. There's stuff for anything you can think of. You belong in at least one of these. But again, when it comes to that, like, growing with Jesus, there's those two functions. There's the individual spiritual formation, and there's the outward reach. Okay, spiritual formation. These are places where you, like, if you need help with prayer, great, they'll help you. If you need help, like, learning your Bible, they will help you. Like, this all environment there of, like, the individual growing, they got you. We've also charged and are going to continue charging our small group leaders with, okay, how is your group of people impacting something larger than just your group of people. Yes, we're still going to occasionally run programmatic things as a church. That doesn't go away. But when it comes to local missions, our goal, the target, is that the groups we have choose to impact the people around them. Does your group meet on a block in a house somewhere? What do the neighbors need? Does your group meet in the church building? Okay, what can the people around this community need? What do they need? Uh, does, you, like, does your group like, happen to have, like there's a, a stay-at-home moms group of ladies that like, occasionally uh, do 
the bins for the kids like during the week or maybe like you've got a group like that or you've got a serving team okay what would it look like if all of you at the same time decided to donate 10 items to mosaic but all dropped it off at the same time and so they went from like oh this is our normal stock to wow we have everything ideas it doesn't matter what specifically you do but what can each of our groups because we have enough for all of you to be in one even if it's youth group what can we do to impact more than just us. So that's program number one. Everything is groups. Item number two is I want you all to be so well equipped, I wanna remove all the barriers from your lives because, right, it's not just about, will the preacher talk about the issue that they're having today? It's, I know what they need, I'll go talk to them. So we're gonna start a new thing uh, that'll run between now and Easter for a whole month called Pay the Tab. On your way out, you will get a paperclip little group of these little cards. What this is, is eventually, and by eventually I mean starting like immediately when service is done, up until Easter Sunday service. You can go to any Forte location, the one in Benton Harbor, you can go to one of the ones in St. Joe, and if you have brought another human being with you, Overflow will pay for it. Eh? Who likes free coffee? Awesome. All right. Who likes free donuts? How about free breakfast sandwiches? Right? They have all kinds of stuff. Right? They have all kinds of things. Whatever. But maybe if you're a real health nut and you like smoothies, like whatever, they have it. But we want to sponsor your Jesus conversations. We want to remove that barrier because sometimes people get uncomfortable and you're like, hey, you want to come over to my house? And they don't know you very well. They're like, nope. So it's in public, well-lit, and with other people around. But have Jesus conversations in public where they might get overheard. Right? Do you know somebody that needs that first introduction to Jesus? Take them to Forte. We'll pay for it. Do you know somebody that's going through something? They just need a friend? We'll pay for that conversation. Go take them to Forte. Are you the person that needs help? Grab a mentor. Take them to Forte. Maybe no one's in crisis, everyone's a Christian, but like, you just like want to grow a little bit, maybe have a conversation with someone, see where they're in their devotional life. Take them to Forte, we'll pay for it. How cool would it be is if there were more places than just churches in this community that were known for talking about Jesus? What if in our community, people just knew, man, if I go to a Forte coffee spot, like someone's going to be talking about Jesus in there. How cool would it be if, because, you know, there's thousands of Christians in the couple of towns right here, how cool would it be if there were more spots than just the church building on a Sunday morning that were known for being places where Jesus meets people? We want to empower you all to have that. So, on your way out, take the bundle of cards. One of the ushers will hand it to you. But take advantage of that. If you run out, we'll have more at the building. There's like three or four in this pack. Like, we will give you more if you need it. Have Jesus conversations with people. Now, I know that it can get terrifying real quick when we're talking about, hey, have a conversation in public about something you care about deeply. I know that can get awkward because not everyone is like thousands of percents of extroverted. Like, I get that. Reminder, here's why we do what we do. You remember the first, like, three words from the Ephesians 4 passage we read? So Christ 
himself. The reason we do these things is because of Christ. The reason we believe it's important that more than just some paid staff members in a building somewhere know Jesus deeply is because there's thousands of people in these couple of towns that don't have an active relationship with Jesus. It's going to take more than six people to reach all of them. There are more needs in this community than just staff members can handle. There are more people that need a friend than just like what I can handle as one human being. I'll be in the trenches with you, but it's all of us, all the time, being willing to be on mission. It is not just a few people's job. It is all Christians' job. And we do it because of Christ. He did way more for us than what we can like even imagine doing for another human being. And so because of that, we allow ourselves to be formed by him. We allow ourselves to grow because of him and into more of what he looks like. And then we take that and bring other people along with us. Young, old, tall, short, athletic, not athletic, whatever. Everybody. Because everything is about Christ himself anyway. And so if we're just looking at pure efficiency, it is more efficient to have 250 people on mission than six. And so in this shift of more hierarchy to more missionaries, all of us are on the Jesus train and all of us are going to bring people with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that you went way farther than we'll ever have to go. Thank you that you are who you are, that you're like this foundational thing that we can build our faith on. And even if like one of these conversations doesn't go well and we try and we invite someone out for coffee and they turn us down or we invite someone out for coffee and it just gets weird and we're in a public place, we don't know where to go. Thank you that we can just retreat back to our cornerstone of our faith, Christ. Help us not to put our confidence in our own abilities, but help us to be wholly dependent on what Christ can do. Not what we can do, but what Christ can do. Not what we can do alone, but what Christ can do through us. God, there is nothing more amazing than being a member of your family, a member of your church, a member of being a part of the movement and kingdom of God in this world. So God, help us to grow into that reality and help us to drag everybody we know along with us. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus.